Welcome to the Measuring Line. I'm your host, Heath Meadows. In 2018, the Lord impressed upon me that the next move of His Spirit would come when the fear of the Lord returned to the Western Church. Now, I'm not talking about other parts of the world where we are seeing a move of God's Spirit in an unprecedented manner, but specifically for the Western Church. And in the Western Church, that word fear and fear of the Lord's kind of been whitewashed a little bit in some areas where it's just focused on the awe-inspiring aspect of God where he's the creator of the universe. And, you know, with a one word, he created everything out of nothing. And that should inspire awe, but awe from us. But at the same time, we have to understand that there is a fear aspect, a healthy dose of fear, where we see John, the Apostle John, in Revelation 1, when he sees Jesus in his glorified state, falls down like a dead man. This is the Apostle that spent a lot of time with Jesus, in fact, laid his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper and was one of the inner three disciples. So he knew Jesus really well and, and was you know, fairly comfortable with him. In fact, Jesus commissioned him to look after his mom from the cross. And so we know John was close beyond a shadow of a doubt with Jesus. And yet on that day, when he appears to him on the Isle of Patmos, he falls down like a dead man when he sees the resurrected Christ. And so we have to keep that in mind. In a Western mind, sometimes we have a hard time balancing these things out. And uh, yes, he is the God, our heavenly father, who we can approach his throne and say, Abba, father or daddy. But he's also the God of the universe who is perfect in justice and holiness and will pour out his wrath on those who practice evil. It's really that simple. But we're beginning to see pockets of revival. And I've talked a little bit about this on, on the podcast, really begin to open up in certain areas of the country specifically when it comes to the idea of water baptism. And I'm beginning to see in different parts, like when baptism is being offered every service after service. So in other words, you would have your Sunday service. And then at the end, if you wanted to be baptized or if just, you know, maybe you want to re- be rebaptized, that's, that is being offered. Well, the spirit's just like showing up. The North Georgia revival is very famous for this. And they continue this practice has been going on for several years and they're seeing miraculous things happen. People getting healed of terminal diseases, people getting set free from years of addiction. So it's, it's a really awesome thing. And so I've never really thought much about it, to be honest. I just thought, you know, this is what God has told this area or these people or that leader this is what you're to do. I think the biggest mistake we make is trying to come up with formulas on how we should get God to act. Our key is to listen to him and obey to what he tells us to do, not what he's told someone else to do. So I've not really paid a whole lot of attention other than that's really cool. But it's caught my attention one time when I was visiting a local church and out of the blue, I don't know if they've done this a lot. They just started saying, if you want baptized, get up here. And man, oh man, you could just feel the atmosphere change. The Holy Spirit showed up and it was, it was pretty awesome. And I thought, man, that's incredible because this is happening other places too. So what's God up to? God's up to something here. And again, not thinking a whole lot about it, but thinking, oh, well, there might be something to it. And, I, and you also think, well, why baptism, right? So baptism and the Lord's Supper are the only two liturgical practices that Jesus commanded New Testament believers to follow. And liturgy is just an outward form of religious service, and it requires participation from everybody in the congregation. So it's nothing that's 
you know, this deep theological construct. It's basically, you know, like it, a good example would be the old temple when you had the table of shoe bread and the menorah and the table of incense and the priests would perform different functions and do different things. That's all liturgy. It's all just a practice of religious service. And Jesus fulfilled all that. He fulfilled the liturgy of the law in the temple. And, but, and, and then he commanded us to, to obey the moral code of the law. And I want to make that very clear because he didn't nullify the moral code of the law. I hate to break the news to people. In fact, the only thing that really changed was the liturgy was done away with. The moral code was a minister different in the new covenant than what it was in the old covenant. And if you read the books of Ezekiel and Jeremiah, you'll see that God promised to take the heart of stone out of people and put in a heart of flesh that he may write his laws and precepts upon it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does when it comes into our lives. And we surrender to the Holy Spirit. He begins to mold and fashion us into the image of Christ. And the fruits of the Spirit are just an evidence that that moral code is written on our hearts. And we instinctively follow that code by the Spirit's leading. We can't get that without the Holy Spirit. And we certainly can't get it if we're not completely reliant on the Holy Spirit and surrendered to his will. So why would Jesus command these two specific practices to continue after his resurrection and after he left before he returns? Well, I think the answer is a little different for both. Water baptism is that outward demonstration that you have now accepted Jesus as your Lord. Your old person, everything that you did before is now gone away. It's dead. That happens when you go into water. And when you come out, you're a new person. You're a new creation. You have been resurrected into a new life, so to speak. So it's this outward demonstration of what's happening inward and what the transformation process that's going on inside you. The last, uh, the, the communion or Lord's Supper is to remind us of the cost of that new life that we just experienced. The, the cost and what Jesus endured on the cross and the unity that he prayed for shortly before going to the cross in John chapter 15. So this is an act that should be taken very seriously by the church. As we see baptism takes the place of the old covenant circumcision. To be a part of the old covenant, you had to be circumcised. The new covenant, it's baptism, thank God. And so the the the, the last, this Lord's Supper takes the place of the Passover meal. We know Jesus is our Passover lamb. We're going to talk a little bit about the excellent and the significance of that here in just a bit. But one of the things that I really grieves my spirit is there's been a practice that's been kind of instituted in some of the seeker-friendly churches, and maybe not even some that call themselves seeker, but they've been doing this thing with the Lord's Supper where you come into church and there's like all these little self-contained juices and biscuits or whatever, wafers, and you just pick one of them things up and go to, the, go to your seat, and sometime during worship, they tell you to partake of that. There is nothing biblical about that, and it really grieves my spirit. And I hope pastors, some pastors hear this and are convicted and begin to look into the scriptures because this is a very serious thing. Paul outlines 
um, some things in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 that we are going to look at on the next episode and really dive into the practices of the Lord's Supper and taking communion and why it's very serious, why that there should be somebody saying a prayer over it, why there should be somebody teaching what it means, why we should be basically doing a self-inventory of our of who where we're at with the Lord, making sure there's no unforgiveness in our heart, making sure there's there's nothing there, no sin in our lives. And if there is, we need to fix it before we take communion. We're going to look at all those things because Paul, in those two passages, tells the Corinthian church that some of you are dead because you've not taken the Lord's Supper seriously. You've taken it very flippantly, like it's no big deal. And it's, again, it's a serious thing, and it has to do with the love and the fear of the Lord. We have to begin to really focus really focus in on the fear of the Lord and what that means and and what he accomplished on the cross, what he had to endure to really provide us a way to fellowship with him and not take it like it's just, you know, some kind of casual relationship that we can we can get, you know, with our neighbor or whatever, or, you know, anybody. It is a very serious thing to take communion, and we need to make sure that we bring that back to the church. And I really feel this, that God is going to do something with communion. As churches begin to really focus in on communion, what it's about, and that fear of the Lord is present I think you're going to see the Lord's Spirit again bless this just as you, we have with baptism. And you're going to begin to see healings break out and deliverances break out because of this. There's, there's something that God is doing with these two things and he's going to do in the next couple of years. And it has to do with bringing that all back into the church that, that we have kind of lost through this idea of making everything more politically correct and not offending people. And I'm sorry to tell you that many times the gospel will offend you. It will offend some of your beliefs if you don't believe right. It's just the way it is. And But there's truth, and truth will set you free if you accept it. But you have to accept it. So the idea of just, you know, kind of practicing the communion on your own is not biblical and it's very dangerous. I think we need to get away from that. I am going to tell you why it's dangerous again on the next episode. We're going to go through 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 and some theological points there and some practices that the early church did that we are definitely not following and have kind of brushed aside. And sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater. We have to be careful with that. You know, the importance of communion is seen throughout Scripture as we see types and shadows of, of both baptism and the Lord's Supper in the Old Old Testament. The Exodus event is one that is very clear. When, the, when Israel is released from Egypt, when the Pharaoh finally lets Israel go, what happens? Well, they walk through the Red Sea. Well, there's the baptism event, right? When they get to Mount Horeb and Moses goes on the mountain and, you know, talks with God, tells Moses to bring up the 70 elders so that they may have a meal together. So there's your supper communion type of atmosphere. So you have both baptism and communion just in that event. And you'll see that throughout scripture where having a meal together is super important, but no more important than that last meal that you see with Jesus and his disciples and what he instructs us to do. Every time we break the bread, for it is, symbolizes his broken body 
And when we take the cup, which symbolizes his blood that was poured out for the remission of sin, there's nothing more sacred, more holy, more awe-inspiring than that. On the next episode, we'll talk a little bit about how we should properly practice communion. Until we talk again, God bless.